0: So, so Missy Charlie didn't know that You were not an extra large
1: No, that's what I asked for That's what I asked for So you for.
0: can conceal better
1: Yes, that's exactly right <laughs> That's exactly Okay, we're in uh, Psalm 119, verse 113 Shemek Shemek? stomach, Shemek Thorn,
0: grab, hate, protect I hate double-minded men But I love your law You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of my God. Sustain me according to your promise, and I will live, not but my hopes. Uphold me, and I will be delivered. I will always have regard for your decrees. You reject all who stray from your decrees, for their deceitfulness vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore I love your statutes. My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe.
1: Mmm, wonderful stuff there. Okay, we have, uh, uh, just for the people online, if anybody's out there, hello. We uh, have had a really, really bad storm, but it's still, you know, it's raining and lightning, So if we lose you, I'm sorry in advance. Uh, just a bad, bad storm that was passing over our heads. And... Um, let's see here. A couple prayer requests, not too many, but uh, Bob, who opens us on Sunday, had a stroke, and so he's in the hospital. And um, then we have um, uh, Don, who attends online. I don't know if he ever comments or anything, but he he does watch online, and he had a blood clot. He needed to go somewhere, and the last I heard, I didn't hear from him after that, but he needed to go somewhere. If they could get this taken care of, then he would be able to go, and uh, i can 't remember the specifics right now because'm i 'm distracted from all that 's happened today but um, online if you're online and you watch um, th- most people know Nance and nancy and she uh she started a superior word prayer group and so if anybody uh you know has a prayer request she 's taking care of them she 's h- sending them out to people and uh, it really is wonderful she doesn't know what that means to me that she, you know she just started this and uh she's got people praying for others needs when they come up and so it's it's really wonderful I've gotten several emails a day with you know this or that and uh, so just so you know that's something that she's done and and uh, if you have a prayer request just contact her and or contact me if you don't have her information I can send it and she's just she's wonderful so thank you for that Nance and uh, I got a poem from the lady that does the uh, tracks for Jewish people sent me a poem and I asked if I, I could uh, read it, and she she just wrote it and sent it on to me. It's from riches to glory. His glory in heaven of riches unseen, all left above as he came on earth's scene. He borrowed a manger, a donkey, a room, and for three days he borrowed a tomb. In poverty he taught, he loved, and he healed. In poverty he died, his glory revealed. His love made us wealthy, our souls he restored. God gave him a title as Jesus our Lord. His sacrifice saved us, our hope evermore, our beloved Jesus, whose name we adore. So, very wonderful. And, of course, we want to add in Paul to our prayers as well. We've got the two people that open. Are you sure you want to keep opening us? Because I have
0: no problem.
1: Just know that I won't be here next Next is the week the, after, absolutely. Week after well, the two people that had been opening us are, you know, hopefully Bob will be back very soon. He, he even mentioned coming to church on Sunday, but I told him not to push it. And Paul, we're hoping he'll be here at some point, but uh, he had a great day a couple of days ago, and then today I got an email and it wasn't as happy. So oh, no. we'll go in prayer in that. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the chance to come to you, and we thank you for the chance to lift others up in your presence, knowing that you hear your prayers, our prayers to you are not unheard. And we certainly pray for Bob, who's gone through a second stroke, and he's in the hospital. I would certainly hope that people would be able to get over and see him and spend a few minutes with him. And uh, we pray for Paul. As always, until he comes back, we're just going to keep prompting you, Lord, asking your favor upon him. And we uh, prayer of praise and thanks for getting Jill a new car, who asked for one last week, and you provided. And so we thank you for that. And we pray for Don, who... Uh, I haven't heard back what his status is, but if it is not yet resolved, we would pray that your hand would be with him as well. Lord, all these prayers and so many others that you know about, we just place them in your capable hands, and we ask that you attend to them according to your wisdom. And it's an honor to come into your presence, and we thank you for it, and we ask you while we're here to help us to go through your word carefully and just handle it tenderly and not deviate from its precepts. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, something I never do i i never give away my sermons in advance, and I also never uh, uh read my devotionals in advance the you know we 're in one thessalonians mm-hmm. and um, but the one I typed this morning I thought was important enough to read um, just be i, I just i 've never done this before i 've never printed one off because it probably has fifty typos in it but this is one thessalonians five twenty one which will be out in about ten days and um It's, test all things, hold fast to what is good. Okay? Um, I want to uh, start with just a comment on that particular verse. Some manuscripts begin this verse with, but, thus showing a contrast between what was just said in the previous verses, and whether the word but belongs in there or not in the text, the words of Paul still imply the use of the word but in the verse. Okay, so if you're reading the verse, test all things, hold fast what is good, and you have the NIV, it will say, but, read, uh, test all things. Okay, but it's implied one way or another. He's showing us a contrast between that verse and the previous thought. Paul has been, in this particular verse in 1 Thessalonians, he's been a happy course, and on a sound course. Verses 19 and 20 concern the latter. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Okay, that's to keep you on a sound course. Now, in order to ensure that we accomplish these things, he exhorts us to be wise and to be discerning. In order to do this, we are to, as he says, test all things. The word test is one that speaks of validation. Its root word is used concerning the proving or testing of coins in order to confirm whether they were genuine or not. There isn't uh Uh, there is the real currency of the land and then there is that which is counterfeit. Unless one wasn't careful, they could easily be duped into believing they possessed something of value when instead possessed only a fake which had no value at all. Paul's admonition here is that we are to test the fire of the Spirit. That was one of the previous verses. And we are to test prophecies. That's the next day's verse. Is this uh, the true Spirit of God or is this a counterfeit corrupt counterfeit, okay? Is this a true prophetic utterance, or is it a lie from the devil? This is what he's asking us to do, is to test these things. Like the currency of the land, what is real is often very hard to distinguish from a forgery. Even Paul relayed this truth directly to those in Corinth when he said these words in 2 Corinthians 11. But what I do, I will also, do, I'll also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. You can see you've got what's true and you've got a counterfeit. And he goes on, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. True and correct if they are not intimately familiar with it. You know where I'm going with this. It takes either a specialist or a chemical test to tell if a $100 bill is real or not. Okay, A specialist can look at it, and they get out their magnifying glass, and they can say there's an error here and there's an error here, which nobody else would ever get. But they are aware of the original. Okay, There is another way of testing, and that's, as I said, a chemical test. Has anybody ever gone to Publix and given them a $100 bill? What do they do when they give when you give them a $100 bill? They pull out that pen, and they put a mark across it. If it's counterfeit, it turns black. If it's not counterfeit, it stays kind of a yellowish color on the bill. So if that's how you can tell. So you have either the test, which is based on somebody's knowledge of the original, or you have a chemical test, which still validates whether it is an original or not. Okay? So the specialist is trained in the most subtle nuances of the original bill, and the chemical test is able to quickly identify the false bill as such. It provides a comparison to what will occur with an original bill, okay? In both cases, the original, oh, here it is right here, the original is the standard, and the false can only be identified as such when compared with it. The lesson for us should be absolutely obvious, okay? We cannot know what is false in our faith unless we know what is the true basis for our faith. What is that basis? This is the only source we have for our faith. This is it. We don't have a pastor or a preacher that tells us our faith. We don't have somebody that gets a word from the Lord. Oh, I got a word from the Lord, and I want to tell it to you, like uh, Ellen G. White did of the Seventh-day Adventists, and we have an entire cult of Seventh-day Adventists around the world because somebody made stuff up out of their own head. We have to have one basis, one standard, one original, Okay? it's the Bible. If we are not willing to train ourselves in a detailed understanding of God's Word, it is not possible for us to test all things. No wonder so many cults and false teachers have arisen, and why so many once sound denominations have fallen completely away from what is true. But when we are careful, and when we test all things according to the one true standard, we are then able to Hold fast to what is good, as Paul says in the second clause of that verse. We can easily reject the bad and we can quickly discern who the false or just plain old crummy teachers are. In today's world, where everything in the Bible can be quickly accessed, it is easy, and this is a, a point that we should not miss here, it is easy to have people suddenly come forth sounding as if they are specialists in the Word. In fact, it appears everyone is a specialist today because everyone has this amazing access to the word which was never available before but this is a scary place to be when putting one's trust in someone because they have supposedly mastered a specialized portion of the word such as future prophecy you get people that say i'm a prophecy expert and that's all they know about the bible they have not read the whole bible they haven't taken in the whole counsel of god that's their little specialty, and they claim to be specialists on it, and people follow along, and they listen to them, and they say, oh, this person is a specialist, and they know Bible prophecy. Okay, they know nothing more. That is a scary place for people to be. There must be a full understanding of the whole counsel of God in order for a teacher to be fully equipped. Likewise, the layman must have a full understanding of the Word of God, or they will easily, easily be duped by these seeming specialists the study of the word is hard it takes time it takes much time and it takes a great deal of mental energy but without it there is no way that we can test all things and there is no way that we can hold fast to what is good life application concerning the Bible in today's world everyone is a specialist the wise person will read the word day and night to be kept from these specialists and he will be careful to not get duped by them. Life application, know your Bible, okay? Just today, I've gotten three emails, one on a person that is a great friend of mine. He asked about dispensationalism. He hadn't even heard of it, okay? I told him, watch the Bible studies because we bring it up from time to time. He went to his pastor and the pastor said, well, I disagree with that. And then he went to his retired pastor and he says, that's correct doctrine. Well, only one is true. Either dispensational is correct or it's not. Now, I gave him as quickly as I could a breakdown of some points on dispensationalism. I got a call from uh, Ray about, Bob, I had to get to the hospital. So I told him, I'll have to just finish this up. Call me. So I hope he calls me. We can talk about it. We can get him uh, at least knowing what dispensationalism is. Then it's up to him to check what I tell him. Am I correct? Or is covenantalism correct? And I told him dispensationalism comes down to one issue. One word. Anybody? One word, dispensationalism comes down to one word, Israel. Israel. Are you a believer that Israel still has a purpose in the world today, or are you a believer that the church has replaced Israel? Because if you believe the church has replaced Israel, you're not a dispensationalist, okay? And if you believe that there is a plan and a purpose for Israel in the world, even if you don't know you're a dispensationalist, you are a dispensationalist. Now let me teach you what's correct about dispensationalism, okay? That is the key, is Israel because for 19 or actually 1,700 plus years, people were pretty much not dispensationalists. They thought the Jews were out and that the church was Israel or it had replaced Israel, and there's a valid reason for that. Now, I'm going to say this, and this will upset somebody out there, and they're going to send me an email, and they're going to be angry. Dispensationalism and Covenantalism, Calvinism and non-Calvinism, Calvinism Calvinism are not heresies. R.C. Sproul is saved. He's not a heretic. He's not preaching heretical doctrine. He is teaching bad doctrine okay he's saying that you know the church has replaced israel that's bad doctrine israel does not get a person to heaven jesus gets a person to heaven if you teach a jesus uh centered doctrine incorrectly the trinity the reincar- uh, the uh, uh, uh resurrection the incarnation i put two words together and almost said reincarnation but you <laughs> see if you take one of those jesus centered doctrines and you teach that wrong that is a heresy Somebody sent out a list a couple days ago, which I've seen several times. It was actually the girl that sent me this sh- shirt for my birthday. Thank you, Missy Charlie. Thank you. She sent me a, a purple one. If you don't have oh, one no of these shirt. Shirt, shirts yet, you need to get one because they are really, really comfortable. I'm telling you, they're made up of a fabric which is soft and really wonderful. So they please, have them for um, ladies too. oh, they have them for ladies yes, too, they and do. all kinds Stop. of other stuff. I didn't know it for ladies, but anyway, thank you, Missy. Um, uh, she sent this list to me, which I had seen before, and one it's it's a finger pointing list. All of these people are heretics. These, this is the heretic watch list, mm. and they had a lot of true heretics on there: Oprah Winfrey and blah 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 people that you've heard and you know they're crazy. But then they threw in just in a complete sweep of every person that falls under this category: Calvinism. Calvinism isn't a heresy. John Calvin was not a heretic. He taught things at that time which people assumed were correct. What has happened since then is people have seen Israel back in the land, and now you have to modify your thinking a little bit and say, well, if that's not correct. Now, he did teach things that I would completely disagree with as bad doctrine, election, predestination, which we're going to go through in chapter 8 of Romans, but they're not heresies. They're not going to keep somebody from being saved. Hypercalvinism will keep somebody from being saved, okay? We can go through hypercalvinism sometime. We're not going to do it right now, but Calvinism is not a heresy. So when you get that stupid list, just cross that one off of there, okay? It's, and there are other few other things on there that they've identified this person as a heretic. They're not. There is a difference, and you need to not point fingers. I said it to Missy. I said these people don't realize that when they're pointing their finger, they have three more pointing right back at them uh-huh, they're because they're not perfect in their doctrine either. Nobody is. But you want to be careful about calling a person a heretic, until you know what a heresy is. Yes. Even the disciples, when they believed in who Jesus was, that's right, which was all they could do at that point, you know, uh, messed up on a whole lot of stuff. A whole (laughs) lot. And Peter continued to, that was my second email. Good point. My second email, actually the one from my friend about dispensationalism was later email. The earlier one was another Hebrew roots movement person emailing me on my, uh, sermon, which I did, about dietary laws that we did just recently. She mm-hmm. said, I watched first 10 minutes and she sent me all of these completely irrelevant issues. Well, I mentioned my wife is from Okinawa and they have a lot of centurions there. And she said, well, if you would just pay attention to the law, you'd know why they're living a hundred years. She oh. said, they don't eat pork. And I said, you've obviously never been to Okinawa because they have pigs on spits and they, you know, they cook, them. I mean, it's pork city over there. And I said, I have seen every single time somebody over a hundred years old is interviewed. Every time they ask, what is the question they ask? The, the press always asks the same question of somebody. What is the secret to your living so long? I have yet to see one person say, I observe the dietary laws of Israel. Sometimes. Not one. And they usually say, I smoke a pack of cigarettes a day, or I eat five pieces of bacon a day, or I drink, uh, you know, a bottle of white wine a day. They say something that is completely contrary to any normal thinking. God happened to favor them with a the long life, okay? So that's a a completely stupid argument. But then she went into Acts, where Peter was told, you know, the she came down and don't call anything uh, defiled, which is uh, clean, right? And she used that to justify something. I'm like, what Bible are you reading? So anyway, I want you to know, if you do not know this word, right here, if you don't know this word, and you're trusting Charlie Garrett with your theology, you have made a giant mistake in your life. All I can do is tell you what I believe is correct. I cannot tell you that I am without fault. I won't tell you that. But
0: you you don't get into, you know,
1: this is me speaking. Well, I understand that. I, that I, I do understand that. And I don't say we have a word from the Lord or anything like that. I try to stick only to this book, okay? But people need to know this word. And when I, I've said it almost every Bible study. I haven't recently, but I used to say it every Bible study. Now you've had your lesson. What do I expect you to do? verify Verify it go home and check what Charlie said Okay, I haven't been saying that as much as I should lately because every person is responsible for their doctrine James 3 says that teachers will be judged more strictly but guess what everybody will be judged based on what they believe and if you want to listen to me that's fine I appreciate it very much but this is your only source of valid doctrine right here and I will disagree with people on it and only one can be correct or both are wrong but not both can be true Okay. It is impossible to have contradictions in theology. So I've said it. I wanted to get that out because it, I was typing that this morning at 420. And I, I, I thought, you know I, I think we need this for the Bible study right. today. So apologize for the long introduction, but people can I, get that every day. Right? You can, yeah. People can get this. If you want to, what I just read you comes out every single day on the superior word. Um, it's under today. And then after that, it goes into a file where you have to go to the book of 1 Thessalonians or 1 Corinthians. They're all there. And then when I finish with the entire book, which, you know, it's 90 uh, some days for 1 Thessalonians. But when I finish the book that morning, I copy the whole thing and I put it on my old website, wonderful1.com. That's the numeral one, dot onecom And so they're all there. And so, you know, the more that I have on wonderful1.com as far as Bible commentaries, the easier my life gets because people every day email me with questions and I say, well, I've got the answer right here. Just go down, scroll down to that, and I, I don't have to answer it anymore. So I'm happy that I'm saving this time because the first time I didn't save these things. But thank you for reminding me of that. Okay, we're in, in the book of Romans today. We're in chapter seven and verse 11. And for those of you who came in late, Burke is okay. He couldn't make it today. And so uh, I know uh, some people probably look and they say, where is Burke? He's okay. So he just had some family things to do. So okay. okay.
0: Should I start at seven?
1: Uh, yeah. Hang on. Rome seven. Uh, seven eleven. Oh, thank heaven for seven eleven. <laughs> that's um, that's our theme for today. Let's see here. Seven eleven. You might as well go back to seven. Yes. Okay.
0: What shall I say then? Is the law of sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through through the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said do not covet right but sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of covetous desire for part for apart from law sin is dead once I was alive apart from law but when the commandments came sin sprang into life and I died I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death Mm -hmm. and here's 11 For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and though the commandment put me, and through the commandment, put me to death.
1: Okay, and mine's a little different, almost the same. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it, killed me. Now, I thought I saw Pat and Cindy parked out front when when you were walking up, and they're not in here, so hope they're all right I, maybe i didn't but anyway um uh, if you if you would just go look out there if you see their car maybe they need an umbrella i i i just i don't want them to sit out in the car waiting for the rain to end if they want to come in i'm sorry to bother you like that okay um 7 this is similar sentiment to what was stated in 7 verse 8 what paul is doing is showing how sin takes root in us even though it is derived from something good such as the law things get cunningly turned around through deception Mm. the greek word for deceived here is it indicates being thoroughly deceived or being hoodwinked okay a form of this same word is used to translate eve's words in the greek copy of the old testament of genesis 3 verse 13 the woman said the serpent deceived me that same word and i ate they're not out there someone else oh okay all right thank you This shows that Paul is probably referring to Genesis and is thus using the personal pronouns I and me in this chapter to refer to his humanity and is thus applying the principle to all people. If you see what he's doing, he's going back and he's saying the law deceives. Well, that's what happened to Eve. Actually, it was the serpent, but by the use of the law, things were turned around and she was deceived. Once again, that brings us back a perfect introduction with today. Somebody takes the law or somebody takes the word of God They turn it around, and they deceive, all right? Just because there's something in the word which is holy, pure, and good does not mean that we use it that way all the time or that all people will. I know what the third point was before I go on, too, is that um, uh, while I was at the hospital with Bob, he mentioned, does anybody know Joseph Farah? He, uh, he's a uh, author on World Net Daily he's uh, one of the people he's, he's been in Christian circles forever apparently he wrote a book about the Hebrew Roots Movement and how you were supposed to be obeying the law of Moses so you can check him off your list as far as I'm concerned I would never read another article from that guy again now, you wow. know, and I've, I've seen him too? for years, sure. but I know he's an Arab. He's uh, right. like from Lebanon or something. I, I, I don't know that specifically, but I, yeah, he's an Arab, and I think he's from somewhere up there. But once I re- heard that from him, I'm all oh, done with Joseph Farah. I don't want to see any theological point from him. He can report on things over in the Middle East, but yeah, that's poison, absolute poison. Anyway, that was the third thing that was on my mind. Okay, so um, Paul is using this concept of the, the law, you know, people being deceived, and he's applying it to all people. Sin is being personified to show us how the devil worked in the Garden of Eden and how he continues to work through various things and people. The deception he is speaking of, which takes occasion through the commandment, ends in death. Solomon shows us how this work, works when describing the flattering words of an adulterous woman of Proverbs chapter 7. Let me read you that. Uh, Proverbs 7. Psalms and then Proverbs. Sorry. Going the wrong way, Charlie. Okay, Proverbs 345. There it is. 7 and then we have 21 and 23. It says, "With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till an arrow struck his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life." Same thing, a harlot seducing somebody away is no different than somebody using the word to seduce them away by misusing or twisting the word, okay? Um, Sin's deception is so powerful that we simply follow its lead like a dumb animal to the slaughter. This is exactly how it works in us time and time again. In the coming verses, Paul will show us how the conflict rages and the confusion which results, but he will also show us the remedy for it. There is victory over the power of sin, and it is to be found where? In Jesus. Not in observance of the law, not in going back and not eating pork. Uh, you know, I had a Five um, Five Guys burger about uh, an hour and a half ago. I'm a little late on lunch today. Guess what I had on top of it? Bacon. Bacon. Okay, see, I am unafraid of standing before the Lord and saying I ate bacon every day of my life because his grace Covers me. I am saved by grace, not by observance of deeds of the law. If I was allergic to bacon, I wouldn't eat it. Oh, that would be tragic. I'll tell you that. But uh you know, it, it, everything must be taken in its proper perspective, and everything must be taken in its proper context. And the context is that the law is over. It is annulled. It is set aside. It is obsolete. All words used of it in the book of Hebrews, and it is nailed to the cross. Colossians two fourteen. Life application. Sometimes something seems so right, and yet it is deadly to our soul. We need to be on constant guard against the deceitfulness of sin, but the only way to do so is to know what is, in fact, sinful. Reading and meditating on God's word is the surest way to be grounded in our faith. Be like the psalmist of old and meditate day and night on the precepts found in the Bible. Okay? Wonderful stuff. Verse 12.
0: So then. The law is holy. The commandment is holy, righteous, and good.
1: Okay, Paul never says that there's anything wrong with the law. It's holy, it's righteous, and it's good. Where does the problem lie? Right in us. That's what the point of the old... Hello, can we help you, ma'am? Um, The the problem, the entire Old Testament is showing us that the problem is in us. It shows us it again and again. From the very inception of the Law of Moses, if you didn't watch the sermon, go back and watch the ordination of Aaron and his (laughs) sons. And then the next sermon, and then the next sermon. And right in sequence, what happens in chapter 10? His sons do what? they end up dead because they violate the law and Aaron wisely you watch the 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 very final comment in that sermon and Aaron very wisely says there is no hope and as I said at the introduction to that sermon if Moses had sat down and thought through what Aaron had said to him he would have just sat down and he would have said Lord take me now why am why are you giving me this law because Aaron has demonstrated perfectly and completely that there is no hope what are you doing but he knew that there was a a redeemer coming. He knew that, that the fulfillment of the law would be in the redeemer. And so he was in anticipation of that. And in fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says that I will send you what? And you shall hear him a prophet, right? And then what did they ask John the Baptist? Are you the prophet? They knew that he was coming and he would tell them the proper way. The law was given as a tutor. To bring us to Christ the law was to given was given to show us how utterly sinful sin is in man the law was given to show us that even a select group of people in the most ideal conditions on the planet with God dwelling among them and watching over them blew it day and day and day and day alike every single year they had to observe the Day of Atonement and they didn't even do that properly okay They didn't even do that properly. We're going to see that. We're in Leviticus 14, 1 through 9 this week, and then we've got uh, finishing 14. And then after that, I think we have two sermons in chapter 15, and then we're going to get into chapter 16, the Day of Atonement. And you're going to see how badly the people of Israel blew it. All right. The entire purpose of the law was to point us to something else, not to go back and say, I'm going to do this and forget the cross. I'm going to make God happy by my observance of this law. And that's what he's telling us here. But he first says that the law is holy just and good yes killing works killing works yes absolutely I'm not working your
0: way I'm sorry <laughs>
1: that's right if you want to work your way to heaven you are a debtor to the entire law and you you know that lady that emailed me the last thing I said to her I, I gave her the verses I answered her three questions I gave her the verses from Hebrews which said what the law is there for and then I said to her Please don't email me again unless it is to tell me that you have found Jesus Christ and you have received his grace and you're not going to work your way to heaven any longer. Because I'm not going to play scripture tennis with people. I'm not going to go back and forth, but this says and that says and this. I've given her what it says. It's up to her to come to Christ and say, I accept what you have done and I'm going to rest in that. He is our rest. We're not working our way to heaven. We're trusting in Christ to get us there. Okay? I was not in any way angry or mean with her. I was just very clear. You need Christ. You're going to be, it's an infinite climb to get to God, and you will never make it. so logical and so wise, though. Some people are really kind of slow. I understand that. You know, but she's the one that came to me watching the sermon. I didn't go to her. Okay. I I gave my presentation. She didn't watch it through. Well, I hope so. I I really do, because it it is an eternal decision to reject the grace of Christ Mm -hmm. and to. Now, if you're saved, you're saved. That's one thing. But I have no idea if that person is saved or not. If she has been. Introduced into the Hebrew Roots movement and that she's got to observe the law, she is not saved, and she never never will be. Okay, if she was saved as a child and then she went into the Hebrew Roots movement, all she's going to do is suffer the rest of her life under bondage that Christ came to free us out of. If you're saved, you're saved. Okay, yes.
0: Hebrew Hebrew Roots movement is that under a certain denomination? No,
1: all it is is it's just teaching that you're under the law of Moses, and there's people in churches all over that teach this. It's not a certain denomination, but what it is. It's just another name for what Paul uses in the book of Galatians. Galatians may be my favorite book in the Bible. I don't want to say that. It's one of my favorite 66 books. That's for certain. But I really love Galatians. And I will tell you that Galatians, uh, the terms that they use to describe what Paul describes in Galatians is Judaizers they were Jews that went into um, Galatia and they got the people stirred up and saying well you have to do this and you have to do that and Paul spends the entire book explaining to them how that is incorrect all Hebrew roots movement is is a reincarnation of that 2,000 years later they see oh Israel's in the land just like it was back then they were still a group of people and they're saying well we have the law of Moses and now that these people are back in the land all of a sudden the Hebrew roots movement is coming back again as an infection If they think that they are a part of something great that's happening in God, they better read the book of Daniel that says that these people are going through seven years of tribulation. They're not going to be raptured out because of observance of the law. They're going to be left here through the tribulation because of observance of the law. Judaizers, Hebrew roots, whatever you want to call it, is absolute poison to our theology. Do they
0: call themselves? Yeah,
1: Hebrew roots. Go figures. type it in, and okay. there's books about it. There's all kinds law. of stuff. It is very, very bad theology. Yeah. So so, nothing, nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. That's exactly what Solomon said, and that is exactly right. Okay, so we have um, verse 12. Um, five verses ago, the question was asked, is the law sin? The answer was, Certainly not. Since that question and response, a defense of the law and exposure of our troubled nature has been given. The result of these comments is our therefore in this verse. The law is holy. If the law came from God, then it must be holy because God is holy. That's exactly right. The commandment um, is speaking, the commandment is speaking whatever part of the law is being referred to. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder, whatever. Okay, in this case, you shall not covet. The commandment, which is a portion of the law, is holy. God gave it. It's a part of the law. He's holy. The law is holy. So therefore, thou shalt not covet is holy. In other words, if the law is holy, then all of the law is holy. This is what James could say in his epistle, that whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one aspect of it is guilty of all. That's right. The entire law is broken by breaking one precept of the law of Moses. One precept. There are 613 precepts, about 250 of them, which are impossible to fill in the world today. And yet people are saying, I'm going to do observe the law of Moses and I'm going to make God happy with me. When one violation of the law is a violation of the entire law. OK, and yet they say, well, that doesn't matter because there's not a temple in Jerusalem or we don't check for boils before we come to church or whatever their thinking, their irrational thinking is one one violation breaks the entire law. You cannot merit God's favor through the law. OK, if a holy precept uh, found in the law is violated then the entire law is broken and not only is the commandment holy, but it is just what God determines is just because it stems from his righteous nature. Remember, we did the the wheel up there one time, and I said, we've got love, we've got uh, holiness, we've got justice, we've got righteousness, we've got um, mercy and grace and truth. We've got all these attributes of God, and they're pulling against each other, because if I violate this, he can't do anything with this aspect of it. And so there's this tension, which cannot be resolved, because if God was to say, I'm going to overlook this transgression, then he is unjust, because somebody lost their mother, because I killed their mother, and God says, well, I'm going to forgive that without any payment, then he is unjust to that person who lost his mother and to the mother who was killed, right? God cannot violate one of his own standards in order to appease himself through another one of his own standards. God cannot do that. I was preparing for a sermon in my mind after leaving Bob today at the hospital, and talk about a perfect perfect way of saying so much for uh, the doctrine of immaculate conception, which is Mary being born and maintained sinless. If that was true, then God had to violate his own nature in order for that to happen, Mm -hmm. because only Christ can take away sin. God cannot take away sin without a sin bearer. God is spirit. He must have a human vehicle, we'll call him, or a means of taking away sin. That's why he came out of eternity and united with human flesh. God can't just say out in the eternal realm, I'm going to forgive this sin or I'm going to keep you sinless. God can't do that because it would violate his own nature. And so much for the Immaculate Conception. I'll say that again, hopefully on Sunday when I'm giving the sermon, which is wonderful stuff. Set free in an open field. Okay. Nine wonderful verses. I want to tell you something. I'm going to tell you a little story before we get back into Romans. I was practicing my sermon two days ago. Okay. And I'm just doing it as I do every day. And I've got uh, my wife, she's walking around taking the dogs out. She's got eight dogs to take out. And so one at a time, and she's playing with them in the morning. And um, uh, after a little while, I don't know, maybe uh, she's off that day. So it wasn't like she had to rush out of the house. And she said, that was such a good sermon. And I said, she never says this, you know, Sunday, she never says anything to me about sermons. And um, I said, well, why didn't you tell me that on Sunday? And she said, I wasn't talking about that sermon. I was talking about that sermon. I said, I didn't even know she was paying attention. No wonder she was lingering there with these little puppies. So I'll be interested if it actually is a good sermon or if she was just making me feel good. But anyway, um, uh, it it was funny because she never says anything. We might say 10 words a week to each other. And so I'm telling you, we don't talk a lot, do we? See? Not, See, not you nothing, heard nothing. You don't hear a peep from her. Yeah, anyway, okay, so we'll go on. Um, uh, if she wasn't here, I wouldn't have said that, but I need to embarrass her once in a while. Um, uh, You'll hear about it. Yeah, I will. And not only in the commandment uh, is holy, but it's just. What God determines is just because it stems from his righteous nature. Is it hot in here? No. Oh, okay, because I'm hot, and I thought maybe the air conditioner tripped out when the power went out. So I, if you get hot, just go check the air conditioner. Okay, as long as it's not hot. Um, but I get talking, and so I'm always hot on Sunday morning and Thursday afternoon. But I just, I, I suddenly thought maybe the air conditioner. Okay, anyway. So, um, and equally true is that the law is, as Paul says, good. What it expects is good, and when it is adhered to, adhered to then good will result. There is no failing in the law. All that it entails is Right but when we don't obey what has been given, then fault results. The goodness and beauty of God's law is described in detail in the 19th Psalm. Wonderful Psalm here. Um, Actually, I want to read you verses 8 through 11, but I'm going to read you the whole thing, uh, or uh, I'm going to start with verse 1 because it's such a beautiful Psalm? Psalm. Psalm 19. You're going to know it as soon as I start reading it. What a beautiful Psalm. Okay, Psalm 19. I'm going to start with verse 1, and I'll go through. I'll just read the whole thing. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world it's It's the Bible claiming that the proof of God exists in the creation itself. That's what that's telling us. So we are without excuse, as Paul says in the book of Romans, when we say there is no God. In in them, meaning the heavens, he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of the heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Sounds like Paul there, doesn't it? Okay, so verses 8 through 11 next are what I'm referring to. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. And in keeping them there is great reward that's the idea of what Paul is giving to us right here in Romans let me finish the psalm for you who can understand his errors cleanse me from secret faults keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins let them not have dominion over me then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Beautiful psalm. Okay, so we've read the uh, 19th psalm and life application. Like Psalm 19, the 119th psalm gives a beautiful and lengthy discourse on the nature of God's law. It is 176 verses, which are divided into 22 octaves, which are, is an acrostic based on the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. If you don't know what an acrostic is, it means that every sentence in each of each of those eight octaves, or each verses, eight verses, there's 22 sets of verses, eight verses, each sentence begins with that particular letter. So the first letter is Aleph, all eight verses in that will begin with Aleph. In the, and the What? In the Hebrew. In the Hebrew. That's right. And then the next one is Beth, and every one of those eight sentences begins with Beth. And there's all kinds of acrostics in the, the Bible. Lamentations is based on acrostics. Other psalms are based on acrostics. But the 119th psalm is a marvel. It is a marvel of God's wisdom laid out in 22 octaves, each octave based on a letter of the Hebrew, Bet, okay? And then um, there's 22 of them. Take time each day before reading your Bible to read one octave of this psalm. I've been doing it now for I can't tell you how many years. I've done it every day of my life for years and years and years. One octave a day. By doing so, you will set a proper tone for the rest of your Bible reading. Make this to be your daily habit for all the days of your life. That's my recommendation. You don't have to take it. The Bible doesn't tell you to do it. I don't think people should be legalistic over those type of things, but that is what I do every single day. I read it out loud, Aleph, and then I read the eight verses of Aleph, and I absolutely love doing that. It sets me in the right tone of or frame of mind for what we're going to do. Okay, verse 13.
0: Did that which is good then become death to me by no means, but in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful.
1: There you go. That is one of the purposes of the law of Moses. Through the commandment, sin might become exceedingly sinful. In other words, we would understand the depravity of the human soul by using it as a mirror. We look in that mirror and we say, how utterly disgusting I am, how gross I am before God because of this commandment, which is righteous, holy, and good. I can't meet it. I need something else. It is to show how utterly sinful sin is, okay? And uh, one thing he said, um, anyway, this translation very close to his, but it says, certainly not, instead of by no means. But other than that, same thought there. Has what is good become death to me? Certainly not. Okay, so that's verse 13. i you should mention it,
0: because I was looking at mine says, certainly not, of on 7. Oh, yes. And he says, by no means. They didn't Here, translate
1: it the same in there, and that's why I said that. Huh, it's okay. because yours, it, it, it's not consistent in your Bible, which is what, the NIV? Yep. And all Bibles do that. King James Version, I was going through um, uh, chapter... Yeah, it was the ending of chapter 16. It was last Monday's sermon typing, and they were very inconsistent in just three verses. They completely were inconsistent, so much so that you don't know what's going on there. So you got to be careful when you read translations. Don't be captivated by one. Even the translators of the King James Version say that. Don't be captivated by one version. It could be another reading which is correct. They acknowledge that they are faulted people, and they recommend people don't get stuck into what exactly they've gotten stuck in. But anyway, on verse 13, in response to the previous verses, especially the logic which follows from verses 8 through 12, another rhetorical question is now proposed. If the law is good and yet death came about through the introduction of the law, then has what is good become death to me? Again, he's proposing a question which seems obvious on the surface, and yet which is based on a misunderstanding of what has occurred. The answer, he says, is certainly not. Instead, sin, the thing which brings about death, not the law itself, the thing which brings about death, that it might appear sin is what produced death through what is good. The fault is not in the law which is good. The fault is in the person's disobedient will. It rests with us. From the very beginning, it resulted from Eve being swayed by the serpent and then Eve giving it to her husband. He says, Oh, that looks nummy. I'm going to try it too. And it was their own fault that sin entered the world. Sin produced death in them. Okay? Um, in order to completely understand this, we can look to what Thomas Aquinas wrote in the 13th century. Now, a lot of people won't read Aquinas because he was in the Catholic Church. That is completely stupid, all right? People write things all the time that aren't Christians that make a lot of sense. I cited Poe last week in the uh, the uh, Bible class. Just because somebody is in a particular denomination or just because somebody and plus back then the catholic church was the church okay it departed from christianity slowly as most denominations do but there are good people that were in the catholic church back then that gave great great analysis of philosophical arguments thomas aquinas being the premier one of all Okay, as a matter of fact, I've got a Summa Theologica right over here, and once in a while I refer to it because it is a masterpiece of literature. But anyway, um, uh, Thomas Aquinas said, evil, this could be a little complicated, just try to grasp it. Evil never follows in the effect unless some other evil pre-exists, whoops, unless some other evil pre-exists in the agent or in the matter. But in voluntary things, Free will, involuntary things, the defect of the action comes from the will actually deficient, inasmuch as it does not actually subject itself to proper rule. The defect, however, is not a fault, but fault follows upon it from the fact that the will acts with this defect. Now, I put that in one of my sermons and I uh, explained it there. I will now explain it to you here. The astonishingly profound thought of Aquinas is merely an explanation of Paul's thoughts here in Romans. The defect of the action, as he calls it, I'm talking about Aquinas, in this case is disobeying the command. It comes from the will, which is actually deficient. In the case of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, this was a result of the lack of what? The knowledge of good and evil. Remember, They didn't have that knowledge. It says, look, man has become like us, knowing good and evil. They had a deficiency in them. Is that God's fault? No. If they had everything that was possible in them so that they would never err, what would they be? Robots. No, they would be God. Because even (laughs) robots can have errors. Only God is without any deficiency at all. God is pure actuality. There's no potential in him. There is only pure knowledge we lack something. If you make a perfect plumber and you say, hey, uh, Bob, I need you to come over to my house and fix my electric shortage. And he does it. And the house burns down. Whose fault was it? It was Bob's because Bob is not an electrician. He's the perfect plumber. Anything that does not have a full knowledge of a matter and uses that in in an unwise manner, then it's his fault. God says, Bob, you're the perfect plumber. You will plumb perfectly. Okay, but don't ever get into electricity. And what did he do? He went and burnt down somebody's house. That's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. I'm just giving you an example that you can grasp, okay? So let me read that again. The astonishingly profound thought of Aquinas is merely an explanation of Paul's thoughts in Romans. The defect of the action, in this case, disobeying the command, comes from the will actually deficient. In the case of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, this was a result of the lack of the knowledge of good and evil. They were in a state of innocence, this was their deficiency. Was there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. What God made was perfect. Okay. Was this God's fault? No. Aquinas says it is deficient in as much as it does not actually subject itself to proper rule. What was the proper rule concerning their state of innocence? It was to obey their creator and not eat of the fruit. There was nothing else that they were given. There was not one other commandment that was given in the Garden of Eden except You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. The day that you eat it, you shall surely die. He didn't say that about the mango. He didn't say that about the rambutan. He didn't say that about the orange. And thank goodness he didn't say it about the durian, okay? (laughs) But he did say it about the knowledge of good and evil, okay? You are not to eat that particular fruit. The one fruit that they couldn't have, that's what they made a beeline for. Their will push them in that direction because they worked against the deficiency in themselves okay so um where was i um it's not their fault but fault as aquinas says follows upon it from the fact that the will meaning their free will acts with this defect the blame is placed squarely and solely on man god had nothing wrong to do with it people ask where did sin come from there's your answer right there it's just a little complicated when a guy like Aquinas writes it because he's writing in these these big concepts and they need to be broken down a little bit. But this is exactly what Paul is writing about right here in the book of Romans. Aquinas just took it and he complicated it with some big words, and then we have to take what he says and simplify it with some easier examples. But it is exactly how we got into the mess we're in. So when somebody says it's all God's fault and there's pain and suffering in the world, they haven't thought it through. Okay? And that's why you're in Bible study today remember I said at the beginning of the class I read that devotional from one Thessalonians and I said Bible study is very easy it's the simplest thing in the world and everybody will know their Bible in 30 minutes did I say that no, no. it is hard work it's mentally challenging it's debilitating at times but that's why we do it is because we want to understand why when somebody comes to me and we're ordered in the Bible be ready with an answer to everyone who comes to you right when somebody comes you have to be able to say it's not god's fault that sin entered the world well how do i know go read the summa theologica oh okay well yeah that, it, you have to be able to tell people something i'm not sure but i know where to go get the answer right go to the book of romans and read it and then you give them that now don't go to me i don't know anyway um i'm just copying off myself when i was asleep i wrote this Charlie. Um, okay so let's see here um Uh, the blame is placed on man, and nothing has changed since then, okay? When we act with our free will in a manner which is contrary to whatever good law is given, it produces fault. Fault is sin. He just used, uh, Thomas Aquinas uses the word fault, but he's equating it with the thing that Paul calls sin, and where does Paul get that word? He gets it from his own Hebrew uh, understanding of what God would call it in uh, the Old Testament is, uh, no, that's uh, Greek, Hamartia. Old Testament is uh, chatat sin, okay? Anyway, um, uh, so we have a law, whatever that law is, at whatever given dispensation in time, that is what we're supposed to obey. Israel was given the law, 613 commandments. And if they violated one of those, then they worked against what their creator had told them to do. And not only do they work against that, they work against the promise that their fathers made to their creator. Remember standing at the base of Mount Sinai? They said, we will hear and we will obey everything that the Lord has commanded. They set their descendants after them under that law, and they subjected them to God's rule 100 percent. So that when they were destroyed, according to the words of Leviticus 26, repeated in Deuteronomy 28, was it God's fault? No. No. I get so tired of people saying, oh, you know, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a Jew. Okay, I love the Jewish people. I pray for them every day. But they take the Holocaust and they put it in the world's face to the point where the world is tired of hearing about it. There has to be personal accountability in what happened to them because they set themselves under that covenant. They are the ones that were punished because they disobeyed that covenant. And then they disobeyed the new covenant in Christ's blood. And until they recognize that fact until they come to Jesus Christ and are freed from the constraints of the law which they put themselves under voluntarily they will continue to suffer two-thirds of Israel is going to die in the tribulation period because they have not come to Christ yes you had a question I was just gonna say that focus on something that occurred in the past instead of being not forgiving. right without realizing it we become like that that's, that's exactly our real right focus in life and it causes us to mimic that instead of that's right and we're seeing that all over the world right now aren't we yeah. so yeah. i i uh I, I i don't mean to be hard on israel but that is the fact of the matter when i went to yad vashem i was in israel and i went through the holocaust memorial and it was so moving You know, the pictures that they have all over the place and they don't want to forget their heritage, and nobody should forget their heritage. Nobody should forget what happened to them. But I will tell you something. When we walked out of there, I said to mom, she probably remembers me saying this, I said to her, There's only one thing missing from that memorial. A copy of Deuteronomy chapter twenty-eight in every language where they were dispersed around the world. Because what happened at Yad at the Holocaust is what Deuteronomy 28 says would happen. And all of the things that led up to it are prophesied right in Deuteronomy 28. And I said, if they were willing to take that law, which they violated, and to this day they continue to violate by homosexuality in Israel, it's approved, it's condoned, they marry these people, they are violating God's law day after day after day, a law which they are still under because they have not come to Christ. And until they come to Christ, they are bound by that law and they will continue to suffer by it. I said they need to have that in every language where they were dispersed. And guess what? That is every language on the earth. They are everywhere. There is a Jew or two or three in China in the remote little village there, and they're in Venezuela, and they're in, you know, Alaska. They're everywhere. And they have suffered because they rejected God's law. That is what is being said right here in these verses. The will actually working against what god has commanded it doesn't matter if it was one command in the garden of eden which brought all of this suffering when we suffer right now whose fault is it it was originally adam's fault all of the trouble all of the trouble on this planet has nothing to do with god we cannot point our finger at god and say he's a main god and i don't like him because and you know i don't believe in him because he's mean well that's a fallacy right there because you can't be angry at something that doesn't exist but you see what i'm saying it all comes back to this beating, pulsing thing in us right here, all of it, it comes back to our heart and the wickedness, which is there. And until we realize that Jew or Gentile, I'm just using them as an example because that's what Paul is doing. Okay. We have to understand where culpability lies and it is in us. Okay. So, um, uh, did God know that this would be the case? Of course he did. I'm talking about the Garden of Eden in the fall. But he also knew that free will in man was a necessity for an honest, reciprocal relationship of love. Otherwise, you can't have love. In the end, free will, despite all of the evil which has come from it, is still the better option for man. We can say, I'm so sorry that little child was run over by a car. And what kind of a God would allow that? I'm telling you that free will is still the better option Despite that horror, despite all of the terrible things that go on in the world, despite what Hitler did, despite what all of the terrible things that have happened throughout the ages, wars and free will is still the better choice because we can appreciate what God has done. We can say, God, I understand. Somebody emailed me a day ago. Good question. You know, she's watching the Bible studies and she said, "Um, God is so wonderful and he's so big. Isn't there another way that he can also bring people i know i could sense without her her, yet was her saying she didn't say it but i know that she has family members that aren't saved and she says isn't there another way that god is going to have them come to him and i said there is no other way and i said the reason why is because it shows the highest demonstration of his love to send his own son to die for us there's nothing more loving that ever happened in all of eternity than jesus christ dying on that cross because without it, we would all be condemned. As I said in a, the study, I think two weeks ago, hell is our default position. That's where we're heading. Every person on this planet is heading there. That is default. What we need to do is have the default changed. And God was willing to do that for us instead of us somehow meriting it, which is impossible. So that's, that's where we are. Is love is expressed in the cross. And the better choice is free will, despite the bad because with the fall comes the hope of restoration through Christ can you imagine spending eternity not knowing what Jesus did I can't you know we have something so much better than Adam and Eve had in the garden in the garden they had a relationship with their Creator oh boy you know what I feed my dog every day and my dog loves me but if my dog had the sense to understand you know I jumped into the bay to save it and I died and the dog was saved it's never going to appreciate that because it's a dog, right? But if it could if it could appreciate that, you talk about the guy that was in war with somebody else and his friend jumped on the grenade for him. He'll never forget that love. He'll never forget that act of bravery. I, I know somebody sitting right back here that was saved by somebody else. What, weren't you? Somebody picked him up and carried him two miles. Was that right, two miles? I don't want to misquote that. It was a long way. He didn't know who he was. Never saw him again, never had a chance to thank him, but he still talks about this guy to this day because somebody was willing to do something for somebody they didn't know. Imagine Jesus doing something for people he does know and then think about what he knows about you, right? That's an act of love, okay? I, I get so, I, you can tell I'm animated right now because I'm so angry at people that don't understand. that they, they, they rile against Christ. They say it's a wicked religion and we're brutal and they compare us with ISIS and It's the farthest thing from the truth. It's the farthest thing from the truth. We love God because God first loved us, and he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Okay? So, um, through him we receive imputed righteous... Oh, let me go back one sentence. Um, In other words, by giving... uh, Where am I? I think I I went too far. No, that's right. In other words, by giving the... with the fall comes the hope of restoration through Christ. That's what I just said. And with the introduction of the law comes the final point of this verse. The commandment was given as Paul says, so that through the commandment uh, through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. That's the final part of the verse there. In other words, by giving a commandment, sin is known to be sin. We would, As he said earlier, would I know what coveting is unless God told me not to covet? And he said, but once he said not to covet, I know what coveting is, and at the same time, it causes coveting to spring up in me. Right? This is it. Sin, through the commandment, might become exceedingly sinful. By giving the commandment, sin is known to be sin. By giving the law of Moses, which included many commandments, sin might become exceedingly sinful. The law shows us how desperately our fallen state is, and thus our desperate need for Jesus Christ. Through him, we receive imputed righteousness, and through him, we aren't just saved from this body of death. We are eternally saved from it. Through sin, we see our own unrighteousness. Through sin, or through much sin, we see it all the more. And the more we see it, the more glorious appears the grace of God through Jesus, Remember the parable that Jesus said when the woman was washing his feet? And the, the Pharisee said, well, don't you know how sinful this woman is? And what did he say? Well, he said, um, uh, yeah. let me ask you a question. Did you wash my feet when I came in? No. You know, did you uh, wipe my feet with your, you know, that, yeah. the, the things that she did for did him. Really and hurts. he said, no. And he said, well, the one who's been forgiven much will love much. And the one who's been forgiven little will forgive little. The more that we have sinned before coming to Christ, and that's why you see somebody that was really a, a real bad person, they're the most appreciative person on the planet when they know what Jesus did. When they comprehend the magnificence of what Jesus did for them, they look in the mirror and they say, you did this for me. You know, I think that every time, every time that I'm out walking and taking out the garbage at the mall or doing whatever I've got, just me and God there, I think, why would you even bother with me? Well, Why? There's just absolutely nothing good in here, even now, you know, I mean, I've been saved and I know I am, but in this heart of mine and the things that I think and the things that I do and the things that I say, I, I think, why would you want anything to do with me? But that shows you the magnificence of God. But somebody that's been forgiven a little bit, you know, they were raised in a nice family. They're good people growing up and they knew Jesus since they were this big. They probably don't appreciate it the same way. They've never had to deal with a life of sin and baggage behind them, and they probably don't have all of the things going on in their head that other people do. You, you know? say that,
0: but but that point that Paul just brought up, right? Aquinas also did as well. It's like you know, your heart is—it's it, wired into us it. the same way about Adam and Eve. You bet. It's like you know, it's you are going to do the wrong thing. And you're going to say, woe is me after
1: you. That's absolutely right. It is geared into us. But you say, woe is me, I did wrong. But then you get the grace and you say, great is God. Right? Right. Great Great is God. the Lord doesn't want any to perish. No, that's exactly right. Another argument against Calvinism, Mm -hmm. right? The Lord does not want any to perish, but to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. I know I misquoted that, but it's a voluntary action of the free will. It is not being regenerated in order to believe, just as Adam was not ungenerated in order to sin. (laughs) If one is true, the other is true, and it makes absolutely no sense at all. Okay, life application, we got time for a few more verses today. Your life is one marked with failure and sin. But through Christ, what was so desperately fouled up can be purified, it can be made spotless, and it can be restored completely. Through Christ, the past is gone and a new path is found. We can now exercise our free will to the glory of God and not for a life of sin. That's what we need to do is just take that old man in us and just keep crucifying it in the flesh. Just keep thinking about you, fix your eyes on Jesus, fix your thoughts on Jesus, look to the cross, meditate on the word day and night. the word is what is going to keep you from that. as I said, Being filled with the Spirit is not an active action. It is a passive action. If you're asking the Lord to have His Spirit so that you don't sin, then you better be doing the things which will bring His Spirit into you. Studying the Word, knowing the Word, fellowshipping with other believers, praising God, praying to God, doing the things which will allow you to be filled. It's a passive action, not an active action. If you're not doing those things, you are not getting any closer to God, and you are not gaining knowledge of Christ. Okay? 7.14.
0: We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin.
1: Okay, who's writing this? Paul. Paul. Uh, Great Apostle Paul, right? Mm -hmm. What does he say? He says, for we know that the law is spiritual. Oh, it came from God. It's wonderful. But I am carnal. I am sold under sin. Anybody that says that I become perfected in this life, all you need to do is what my friend Mike says to him. So you know more than Paul, or you're better off than Paul, right? Paul never, you wait till we get to the end, just a few more verses, verse 24 and 25. See what he says there, that he says he's carnal, he's sold under sin. This is the stress that all of us feel from day to day. There are many viewpoints as to who Paul is speaking about in this verse when he says, I, as we've seen, he used the term previously, not speaking of himself, but as a way of showing the struggle which exists in all people. Some scholars look at what he is saying in this verse as any individual struggle against sin under their own power, be it Jew or Gentile under the law or Gentile who simply understands man's depravity and his wars with the unwritten code. Others see it as the difficult struggle of those who have called on Jesus and yet continue to struggle with sin in their lives. That would be me right there, okay? That would be those ranging from carnal Christians, meaning those who are saved and yet immature in their faith and practice, all the way, though, to of those who are fully mature, mature, but not yet completely sanctified, all right? They still struggle with the old Adam in their life. Does anybody here still struggle with the old Adam? Nobody's got their hand up. I can't oh, believe well, it. Yeah, okay, I, I see some hands yes. coming up. All right. <laughs> if you're not struggling with the old Adam, then maybe you don't need to come to Bible class anymore. <laughs> you're perfected, so yeah. why bother? Okay, the, the debate about who Paul is referring to is actually unnecessary. It was demonstrated in verse 9 that Paul was using the term I in regards to his humanity. He used coveting as a means of demonstrating the conflict which arises. But coveting doesn't cover the entire law, does it? It was used to represent any commandment in the law, and thus any law. So it can be a law for a Gentile. It can be a law for a Jew. It can be this law for a Jew, or this law, or this law, or this law for a Jew. Or it could be us under Christ with the law of loving God and you know, uh, this is uh, my will is that you believe in the one whom he has sent. How many times does somebody say, I'm having a faith crisis? I mean, I hear this all the time. I'm having a faith crisis. So they're violating that precept out of the Lord's mouth. Okay. Um, he hasn't changed. Uh, uh, where was I? I um, he used coveting as a means. I said that he hasn't changed tracks in his thoughts, Paul. And the I in this verse follows along the same line. The law gave to Adam and Eve was spiritual. But they were in innocence when they ate of the fruit they attained the knowledge of good and evil sin revived in them and they died since that time the knowledge has caused a war in the members of humanity when a good law is given be it conscience or be it the law of moses doesn't matter which the law causes the war to rage in that person all that god has done is good and the law is spiritual However, we as humans are carnal, as Paul says, and sold under sin. It's an inherited state. We aren't born to fall, we are born fallen. Big difference there. People say, Well, I, I fell, I need Jesus. No, you were fallen, you need Jesus. He says that in John three eighteen, doesn't he? John three eighteen? Anybody? You know that one. So in John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he saved his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he says, I knew you were going to get that. She's (laughs) our Burke replacement. If you don't believe you're condemned already, we aren't born to fall. We are born fallen. When we see a good law, our carnal selves war with it because of our sin nature. Life application. As you progress in your Christian life, maturing from infancy to maturity, you will continue to struggle with sin. Although it's natural, it's something Uh, also that you can overcome, but not in yourself. The struggle we're told about is a struggle between our earthly selves and that which is spiritual. By being filled with the Spirit, as I just gave all of the examples of how to do that, we allow the spiritual side to reign. We will continue to learn and develop this in the chapters ahead. Once again, being filled with the Spirit is not going into church on Sunday morning and listening to nice songs and saying, Come, O Spirit that is the farthest thing from the truth has nothing to do with it it is reading your Bible and thinking about what you read it's talking to other Christians about the Word of God about fellowshipping with them about praying with them about doing things that will actively cause the spirit to passively come into you and to fill you you will never know the Bible unless you read the Bible you will never have the joy of fellowship with your friends unless you fellowship with your friends and in those instances when you're doing that in the presence of the lord you will be filled with the spirit okay that is what we're going to continue to learn from paul how we're going to develop that but i get i got tell you what i get no more joy than talking with sergio and rhoda i do it try to do it every day i don't always and sometimes it's just i need help with this this hebrew for this verse in uh the next sermon or it's sergio i need help with the uh The um, you know I screwed up the Adobe and I've got to start the whole process again and I don't know how to fix it okay but I just have joy being there with him because he's a person of God and sometimes we'll stop and we'll pray I was so upset about a month and a half ago I was so beside myself I said I don't think I can go on today I don't think I can finish this because I it was so screwed up and he said let's just stop and pray that is when the Spirit is filling you is you are being given God's grace through the fellowship, through the prayer, through those type of things, okay? That is where the good in life happens. Go ahead, verse 715.
0: I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, do not do, but what I hate to do, but I— but...
1: You got it backwards. Go ahead again. <laughs>
0: okay, let's do it again. I do not understand what I do, or what I want to do, do not do, What I hate I do.
1: Okay. A yeah. little different in this yeah, one, but it's still, it looks like backwards, yeah, right? it, it, it's hard to read that verse for what I am doing. I do not understand for what I will to do that. I do not practice, but what I hate that I do. Once again, it doesn't matter if he's speaking about himself or if he's speaking I as humanity, anybody. And if it doesn't matter if it's a Gentile, not under the law of Moses, or if it's a Jew under the law of Moses or a person that's lived out their whole Christian life, it, it pertains to everybody, and it pertains to everybody individually. That's what he's saying here. There is a war in our lives which rages on, regardless of whether we are saved believers in Christ or not. That's why you see people that aren't believers doing what? They jump out of buildings, killing themselves because they did something wrong, and they know they're going to have to face the music for it? Or they are guys being executed, and, uh, oh, it's done. If they if old Sparky got lit up, then he's dead because it was scheduled for 6 o'clock, right? Right. He was in tears yesterday saying, I know I did wrong, right? I know that I deserve okay. what I'm getting, okay? That's exactly what's going on here. Yeah, right here in Florida. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if he, if it went through or not, but we'll know in the news tomorrow. It's the first execution this year in the whole year. They haven't done one. But he understood that he had done wrong. The war was raging in him, and he failed at the war, Okay. So it doesn't matter if you're a saved believer or not, we're earthly beings bound to our fallen bodies. Having been saved by Christ allows us to see our fallen state for what it is, and it causes this battle to rage all the more sometimes, doesn't it? Despite this, Paul has been talking about the state of one under the law. He's on the same path here, but he's using this state to show us how the law highlights our sin nature. As I said, it was given to them, and that's all the Old Testament is doing for the next how many books of the Old Testament? You've got 39, take off the first five, that's 34 books, and they're constantly failing. They're constantly failing. There are highs, there are lows, there's goods, there's bad, but there's always through the whole law a sense of failure. David writing out, thanks to God because he failed, not because he prevailed, and when he does prevail, it's because it's in the strength of the Lord, not in his own strength. Okay, it is all the way through the Old Testament trying to teach us this lesson. Okay, it highlights our sin nature. In verse 13, we saw that sin, so that it might appear sin, was producing death in us through the law. That was when I got into the thing about Aquinas. This was so that through the commandment, sin might become exceedingly sinful. To see this as the Bible demonstrates, we can go to the account in Exodus, where God gave the law to the people in exodus 24 verse 7 we read this then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people and they said all that the lord has said we will do and be obedient the very thing they willed to do though is the very thing they did not practice in short order they had fallen into disobedience of the very law that they proclaimed they would obey they went out and corrupted themselves not fully understanding the nature of their actions. When they made a golden calf, they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought us out of the land of Egypt. In their confusion of who God is, they violated the very covenant that they had sworn to. The thing that they willed to do, this is your God, O Israel, right, was to worship God. They actually did not practice it because they did it incorrectly. And the thing they hated which was to bring reproach on the God they de- desired to honor, this is the thing that they did. This is the nature of sin and the death which the, was produced by the law. When a law is given, it naturally leads to this state. Naturally. It is just the way of the world. When the law came into being, I died because of the law, which I didn't even know was a law until the law said it's a law. As Chosen. noted. What? Chosen. why? Cho- what? Yeah, chosen for what? When they say we're the chosen people, the question is chosen for what? To show us how desperately we need Jesus. Absolutely. As noted, this does not automatically change when one calls on Christ. If it did, Paul could not have said in Ephesians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He isn't hinting that we could lose our salvation by saying this, but that we will continue to have this struggle in our salvation. Coming up in the verses ahead, Paul will show us the remedy for our situation. But the following verse in Ephesians 2.13 hints at it. He says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. little life application. We're going to stop after this one because, yes, we're going to have to stop after this a little early, but I got something I need to do after we close. So um, uh, let's see here. Life application. Since you called on Jesus, have you struggled in your inward man? Have you done those things you wish you hadn't done? And the things you wish to do, are they seemingly out of your grasp? If you have this conflict, understand that it is normal, but it can be defeated. Allowing yourself to be filled with the Spirit will set you on the right path. Well, one must understand how this happens being filled with the spirit is as i said in the last verse a passive action it is not an active action we have all of the spirit that we're ever going to receive the moment that we're saved but the spirit can get more of us we must yield to him through prayer study of the word fellowshipping with other believers and worship of the lord and so on so make a concerted effort to do these things and the war in you will diminish until it's gone Okay?
0: yes. Having the Spirit in you is like wearing a coat in
1: the North Pole.
0: That's a good example. It's not going to stop you from getting cold, but it's
1: sure going to help you. It's going to help you in the process. That's right. Have a coat on like you're in the North Pole. That is exactly right. Um, Okay, so uh, before we go, uh, we'll say a quick prayer, and then we'll uh, get out of here. But I want to say that um, uh, it is the 24th today. Today's the 24th. And um, for those of you who are regular members of the Superior Word Church, you all know Paul, who opens us every, uh, every uh, Sunday that he is here. He hasn't been here in a few months. His birthday is on the 26th of August. Mm-hmm. And on the 26th of August... Jim is having a birthday. It's also his birthday, so we want to wish him a happy birthday. And? and we also have Rhoda oh, yeah. over in yes. Israel, whose birthday is on like the 26th the of August. Uh-huh. And so we want to wish her a happy birthday. Yep. And then we have on 2 September, which oh, she won't okay. be here for it, I'm Linda's hiding. having a birthday. So any other birthdays coming up in the next week or two? Okay, no. we, should we got... talk
0: about the had birthday.
1: Had birthday. Oh, no, the head birthdays we did last week. I don't need any more of that. I don't need any more of that. We've we've got three, four birthdays coming up. Wonderful people. So we'll wish them all a happy birthday and go to the Lord in prayer. (laughs) Lord, we thank you for this wonderful word. We thank you for great minds like Thomas Aquinas who can make it understandable for us. And even from Paul, if we just think through what he says, it's your word. You've given it to us, Lord. And you've so carefully and methodically gone through this dissertation of how we can be right with you and what it is that makes us right with you. And it is all about Jesus, not ourselves. It's all about what you have done through him. We thank you for that, Lord. We want to thank you for those who are having birthdays in a week ahead. And we want to just wish them a happy birthday. And we would ask that you would bring them to a full state of health if they're not in good health we want to ask that you'll take them safely to where they're going as they travel and lord we just want to give you lots of praise and thanks and uh, honor and glory and one more time we want to pray for bob as well who's probably spending a lonely night in the hospital and we would ask that you would be with him and help him through this and the other people in the church who are suffering that are on that prayer list that nancy put together we would pray for each and every one of them and that you would be glorified through their healing or through their comfort in their affliction. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We exalt you. And we do so in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. 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 Okay. Let me back this baby up. Let's see here. We're going to go break.
0: Oh, sorry. Okay,
1: it's backing up. Oh, yeah, we got to wave to him. It's his birthday. It's his birthday. (laughs) Happy birthday. Not happy birthday. We love you all. Have a wonderful (laughs) night. See you later. Oh, boy. Okay. Oh, I know. I got so wet my sleeve is still wet. <laughs> yeah, you were really soaked when you I walked in it. here, I'll tell you that. I, I couldn't even hardly it's get my up. hand out. The umbrella I was raining so hard. <laughs> <laughs> and this morning when still I was still blinking, up, my yard was mushy, so I usually go back to Thursdays.
0: Oh, yeah. But it was oh, so this wet. I, it out one, you know, so. You. I didn't mow it today.
1: And I'm thinking, uh oh. We're supposed to have rain all
0: weekend. Oh, we're supposed to have it all weekend. <laughs> well, if they had predicted this. good blinking. Not to us. Have-